This week at church, Pastor Brenda Teamy continues our series in James with two kinds of wisdom. So what's the evidence of having wisdom? Who would you ask if you needed wisdom on something? You can join us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for free coffee, free baked goods, a worship service, and a sermon to follow. The church is located by the Coventry Mall on Laurelwood Road. Well, today we're going to go into our, le- our passage. We're going to carry on with James. Pastor has been um, preaching to you on James, so he asked me to continue that with you. So we're going to open up to James chapter 3 in your Bibles. Uh, we will have some passages up here, but that, this is just so you have it. I tell the kids downstairs, don't believe everything I say. Use this. You've got to teach them to think for themselves, to use God's word as a regular part of their life. Because if they just learn to be spoon-fed by me, find a kid at school who says this isn't true, and what do they have to say? You've got to go back to this. If you have your word, this is your guideline. If you open up your word to James chapter 3, that will be the key place that we will be today. And we'll go to a few other places. What is wisdom? Anybody? Everybody used to tease that um, when you were 16 to 18, you lost your wisdom, right? When you had your wisdom teeth pulled out. Wisdom is not your wisdom teeth. What is wisdom? Anybody have an idea what it is? Is wisdom something you only get when you get older? Can you have wisdom at a younger age? According to psychology today, they say that wisdom is an integration of knowledge, experience, and deep understanding that incorporates tolerance for the uncertainties of life as well as its ups and downs. Goes on a little bit more than it says, it confers a sense of balance. So if you have wisdom, you're balanced. So if you don't have wisdom, you're a little unbalanced today. Webster says that it's soundness of an action or decision with regard to the application of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Okay? So if you consider yourself someone that has good judgment, has experience, um, I don't know if you've ever had anyone say you have a lot of wisdom. I don't know if that's been said to you or not. Um, Then you're a person that's had a lot of experience, deep understanding. The question we're going to ask today is, what kind of wisdom do you have? Do you have wisdom that somebody should seek after? Or are they going to be like, oh? Like, let me ask you this. Like, well, it's something we should seek after. James 1.5, we're going to back up a little bit to chapter 1, verse 5. And you guys have heard this. Um, Pastor, I don't know how long ago had this passage with you. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask his sister. Is that what it says? He should ask his mother, right? Because mothers know a lot. Okay? Nope. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So he doesn't say, you're 14. What do you need the wisdom for? Right? Can you have a wise teenager? Yes, because it's only, it's somebody who 
seeks after God. Okay, we see God, he will give us wisdom. So what's the evidence of having wisdom? Who would you ask if you needed wisdom on something? Look around in our church. Who would you ask? I'm going to make you guys stay awake somehow. Okay? How, who would you ask in this church? Think about it in your head. Would you ask the kids who just left for wisdom? Would it be a 13-year-old? Would it be a 6-year-old? How about an 85-year-old? I don't know if we have any in our church that are 85, but would it be an 85-year-old? How about a 56-year-old? They're kind of like right in the middle, right? Who, or would, it be, would you not ask any of them? Is age the key to wisdom? What do you think? Okay. What is it that makes us wise? How do we know we're a wise person? Okay. What is the evidence of wisdom? Let's look in. It is by their deeds is how we know a person is wise. How we know a person is wise is their deeds. If a person is, these, I would look on the internet to find some videos for you guys. Most of them were not, they had something inappropriate in something or another. But you see them, the ones who are using their, when they self, the smartphones years back, you see them walking, using their phone and falling into the water fountains and, and tripping over things and uh, a wise man, you know, think that there's, we can probably always think in our head of something stupid we did right? I would have had, that would have been a cool thing to do is call you up and have a downstairs in kids church. We would have had you do different things and see how wise you were at doing those things. But um, a common thread we see in all of James, what does James talk a lot about? He talks about your deeds. The evidence of what's inside is your deeds. What do you do? Okay, you can't have uh, kindness, if you have kindness inside, you're not going to be mean on the outside. If you have meanness inside, it's going to be hard to be kind on the outside. So the wisdom, a wise person, you can see it by what's inside, by their actions. Let's look at Matthew 7, 24 to 27. You can put your bulletin in there. Flip back to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. It says, I'll give you a minute to flip. Make sure you get there. 724. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and tells somebody about them. What's it say? Are you looking? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. A wise person... We're not going to go look at your house today at home and see what it's built on, okay? But a wise person built his house on a rock. What's the rock? God's word, right? 
hears these words of mine, puts them in practice, is like a wise man. Okay? So if you're going to hear, God doesn't want us to just be hearers of the word. He wants us to be doers. I'm so used to kids' church. I <laughs> response back. He wants us to be doers of the word. Okay? So a wise person acts wisely. Right? You're not going to call a foolish person who's, who, like, tries to leap over um, a table with jars of soda on top of each other a wise person, would you? Now, you might expect that from a 15-year-old, okay? But we wouldn't say that being very wise. By your actions, what you do shows us that. Okay, how about, according to our passage... Back in James, chapter 3, verse 13, okay? It says, who is wise, James chapter 3, 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by his deeds, done in a humility that comes from wisdom. So the good life, okay? Deeds done in humility, and humbleness, okay? Is it, how are the two ways of having evidence of wisdom? By our deeds and by our good life. There are two kinds of wisdom. Now, you can have wisdom. There's worldly wisdom, okay? The first one we're going to talk about is worldly wisdom. James goes on in verse 14, James 3.14 says, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah, hey, I, I, I have bitter envy and selfish ambition. Just want you to know that. Yeah, just want you to know that. That's what it says. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it. Who would? I don't understand that. I guess in different ways, we could boast about our selfish ambition and our bitter envy. We can deny, oh, I'm not selfish. You know, we just don't come right out and say, I'm full of bitter envy. I'm selfish. But by our deeds and our actions and what we do, sometimes we boast about it. And we deny the truth. When somebody comes to tell you, oh, you're being a little selfish. Do we? Okay, if you want someone to tell you're being selfish... You can raise your hand. I don't know who wants someone to tell them you're being selfish. <laughs> um, you might know, might, might be good for us to tell each other that, but um, I think the Lord will do that for us. Um, disorder and evil practice. Two kinds of wisdom. Worldly wisdom is envy and selfish. You can see it. If you have worldly wisdom, you're full of envy and selfish ambition. And number two, disorder and evil practice is evident. If you keep looking in verse 15 and 16, it says that such wisdom does not come down see, from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Wow. James doesn't really package his things in pretty flowers and packages, I don't think. 
where you see that, where do you, where's, let's put this in, I don't know about you, but I'm a picture person. Let's put this into, how do we visualize this, okay? What wisdom, what, when you think of this, such wisdom does not come down from heaven. It's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. That's a strong word, okay? For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and evil practice. Can you think of this in anything? Where are some examples of worldly wisdom? Can you see them? Can you think about them? I hate to, do, I hate to really put this out there, but uh, some reality shows. <laughs> Don't want to bust the bubble of some, some of you that watch some of those reality shows, but uh, some are basically based on that premise. They expect you to be full of envy and selfish ambition. Or there'd be no conniving and manipulating there'd be no show. <laughs> and there is so much of that. That's why people will watch this. So then I think sometimes we don't feel so bad about ourselves because it's so bad with what we're watching. I don't know if that if I just like struck somebody in not a good spot. But if you think about it, when we see somebody worse than us, we feel better about ourselves. Like when I go to someone's house and I see dirt or dust, I'm like, yes! I'm good. I got this then, you know? That's horrible. But, um, but then you know, you're like, we, we measure ourselves and judge ourselves by others. That's another scripture that we're not supposed to do that. But we, we, something we struggle with, we do. So I think there's, if, if people are being envious and selfish ambition, there's something to gossip about. There's something to talk about. Can you believe what he did? She did, oh, she did that. Or, or how about, now here's another touchy one. If you have kids, okay, my kids should have been up there. Why did that kid stand in front of my kid when my kid has a solo and now it looks like he has a solo? It attempts all of us. It challenges all of us. And I don't care how godly you are, there is some that we have that battle, that battle going on between our flesh uh, my kid needs to have the part. My kid is better than, they gave that part to that kid because that kid is the, the parent helps out and does this and that, and it is a favorite. That's why that kid got that part. <laughs> we know that we've been there. We've been amongst that. I even heard a parent say about a, a team that always wins the cavalcade that, because they're flashy. It's so funny. We don't even hear ourselves. But I, I, I have this in my head, and someone was saying that, well, they win not because they're better. They were really good, okay? But because they're flashy, and they're showmany, and it has nothing to do with the, the way they're getting um, judged, but that's why they win, because they're flashy. But we don't like to, I think it almost, you see that, that envy practice, that, that earthly selfish ambition, and you see it in the workforce, too, on the field. I was told, well, you got to schmooze your way. You want to get hired, you got to do this and this and that and that. you got to know this person. you got to know that person. And you better get a recommendation from that person. Right? The corporate, supposedly, the corporate world is a doggy dog world. you got to get up there. You, how many people you can step on to get up there? Okay? And it's everywhere. Um, it's, it's from... From McDonald's working to anywhere you work, or cleaning, or whatever, with 
So as society says is a low job, which there is no low job, okay? There is no. Some people say, oh, well, you're only doing that in your life. Uh, this is what I do. This is what I'm good at, and everybody needs it, right? There is no, there is no status. And sometimes we get so, the world, it's hard. The world says you need to be climbing up that status pole. You need to be competing, even amongst ourselves. So if it's not our child, if it's not a reality show um, that we see that in, it's hard for you not to be full of selfish ambition because the world tells you you should. If you don't advocate for yourself, who will? Do you hear, have you heard that before? you got to put yourself forward. Who, who will? Let me tell you who will. God, guess. Who's going to advocate for you? The Lord will advocate you. And I tell you, if the King of kings and Lord of lords who created this world and created you is going to advocate for you, I don't think you have anything to worry about, do you? And when he orders your steps, it's the best steps you could have. Why would you want anything else? Why would you try to do something in your own self when he has more power than you do? And whether it's from an advancement um, from a cashier to a manager or from um, just getting more cleaning jobs or whatever it would be, I'll tell you what, I've been through some things in my life that I have seen when I try to do something and when God tries to do it. When God tries to do it, it all falls into place. It's the best job. It's the easiest job. Even from subbing days that I sub, if I wait for him to direct me, I get the easier jobs. Or I'll get a challenging one, and then, I, and then God helps me to do it, and I'm not doing it myself. Um, Luke 10, 25 to 37. We just taught this, and... When I teach kids church and I teach lessons, God just speaks to me. I don't understand, like, I don't miss um, sitting um, in a, a service. It sounds silly, but because God speaks to me. It's not my only food. I get food throughout the week when I prepare the lessons and all. This is one we learned on Wednesday. So if you have kids, your kids might have learned this. Luke chapter 10, 25 to 37. This isn't up there, but... Um, Everyone knows this story. Um, it's been taught over years and years, but it just dawned on me when I was reading Old Testament and teaching this that um, I never thought of the Good Samaritan story as an example of selfish ambition. Maybe you'll get the, get the all I got when I read it. <clears throat> we'll go through this a little quickly because we all know it. it Luke 10, 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. Hmm. What does that sound like? selfish ambition. Okay. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Okay. So what's half dead? Means you're barely hanging on for life, right? A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. I used to think, well, that I guess he just thought he was too good, right? 
So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, which is what they did in those days to treat things, the medical issues. Then he put on the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. Now, you had to understand Samaritans didn't like Jewish people. Jewish people didn't like Samaritans, too. So this was a big thing. The next day, he took out the two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who showed mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Ouch. He was telling him to go and love his enemy because he was a Jewish person and Samaritan was the one who showed love to him. But they didn't like Samaritans. I think it's interesting that Jesus chose to use a Samaritan person to love the Jewish person, not a Jewish person to love the Samaritan person. Interesting there too. And um, I always thought that the priest and the Levite were just so uppity that they couldn't help him. So you read the Old Testament and you know that what would have happened had the priest touched this man or had the Levite had touched this man who they didn't know if he was dead or not, it would have had to go through all this purification. They would have had to go through, I, you can check out the Old Testament because it's all this. They would have had to bring a certain sacrifice. They would have been unclean for like at least seven days. For, and a wise person in the world would have told the Levite or the priest to just leave him alone. Why should I have to go be unclean for seven days? He wouldn't have been allowed to go to the temple. Where does the priest need to be? The temple, right? So it would have been wise for him to just leave him alone and go around. I never thought of this passage as a godly wisdom, worldly wisdom contrast. But in a lot of ways it is. The Levite and the, and the priest thought they were acting in godly wisdom when they were really acting in worldly wisdom. According to the law, it made sense for them to leave them alone. But Jesus is saying godly wisdom is to love somebody. Actually, worldly wisdom would have told the Samaritan to leave him alone because he was a Jewish person. And Jewish and Samaritan people didn't get together, okay? So, but God's love and what he was telling him is to love others and to love your enemy. Does that make sense? Let me tell you what. Godly wisdom doesn't always make sense with worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom tells you to do this, 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 and that. Godly wisdom is right here. It tells you to love others. And you know what? So often, this struck me. We're supposed to love each other, but sometimes that's inconvenient. Sometimes it's, I don't have time for it. If I go love that person, I'm going to have to do this. I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm going to have to go do this. And guess what? Sometimes it's inconvenient for us. And it causes all these things to happen. And it would make sense to stick to our schedule, to stick to our plan, to stick to what we were scheduled to do. But we need to use godly wisdom. So let's go right into godly wisdom. Okay? We know worldly wisdom. Now here's godly wisdom. Okay? 
godly wisdom according to James 3.17. Let's get back to James because I know you're all flipping there really fast. Wait, where's James? Okay. 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven... Okay, so he tells us about that, and he's telling us about the good. But, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, which means not evil, right? Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. That's a lot in one verse. When you think about yourself and all that you're doing, okay, ask yourself, is what I'm thinking about something. Is it full of mercy? Is there good fruit? Is it impartial? Am I saying, well, she's my best friend, so I should do this for her, and I don't really know that person, so I'm going to do for this person. I don't have time to do for both. Where's your wisdom? Is it impartial? Is it pure with no selfish ambition? Is it peace-loving? Is it considerate? submissive? Is it full of mercy? Okay? And good fruit. We should heart, it should also, godly wisdom should not only be those things, but it should harvest righteousness. When you act in good wisdom, in godly wisdom, you should see righteousness come from that. Okay? Um, peace, James 3.18 says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. You can check, did I just do that with godly wisdom? What wisdom was I using? Um, by um, the harvest that it brings forth. Well, let me ask you this. Do people come to you, um, your peers, your family, your work, or wherever you're at, do they come to you for wisdom? If they are, you're probably acting in godly wisdom. You, but there's, because there should be something about you. If you're acting in godly wisdom, I think people are going to be drawn to that. People are going to be drawn to you because they're not seeing you. They're seeing the Lord in your life. Okay? So just something to ask yourself. By your fruit, people will know you. They will, they will know and the wisdom you have. Okay? People will know what kind of wisdom you have by your fruit. Okay? Is, um, we're going to, how can you tell what kind of fruit you have? If you see a tree, what kind of tree is it, I should say? What kind of tree is it? You can tell the kind of tree by looking at the fruit. Okay? We're going to look at some pictures. I'm going to ask you a question about the next, the first picture we're going to see up here. Okay? Okay. Is that a plum tree? Is it a banana tree? Okay? If you look at that, because some of you might be hard for you to see specifically. It's not an orange tree, is it? You can tell what kind of tree it is by its fruit. So what kind of tree are you? Are you a Christian? They should see that evidence of what's in you by the fruit you show. Your actions. People can see it by your actions. Let's look at another one. Let's see what the next picture is. Ah, is that a pear tree? We all know it's an orange tree. Why? And what kind of fruit? Is it a good orange tree? It looks like a good orange tree. So what do people see? It's kind of figurative. What kind of tree are you? Okay. Are, are you producing the fruit? Let's see what the next picture is. Ah, 
That's a tricky one. Do you know what kind of tree that is? It's a cherry tree. It's very hard to tell if it wasn't sure. But now those are flowers and it has a scent. What scent are you giving off? Do people want to know you? And do they see Jesus because of the wisdom you're operating in? Let's look at the next one. Are you like this? That's not a very pretty tree. Okay, what kind of fruit is on that tree? Actually, there's something trying on one side and the rest of it isn't. That side, it kind of looks like it's a dead tree. What kind of wisdom do you have? Do, you, do people see no fruit? Do people see, are you just struggling with having any evidence of godliness? So it's something to check. What's the next one? Or do you look like this? What kind of tree is that? That's a trash tree. Never saw one of those before. That's a tree so littered with trash that all you see on it is trash. Okay? So what are you bearing? Are you bearing trash? Are you bearing fruit? You've got to ask yourself, what kind of wisdom do they see in you?